lovelies to the Ultimate Dance Business Podcast. My name is Deborah Laws, the dance business expert. My passion is to help you turn your passion into profit while guiding you to work less and earn more. I'm super excited to share interviews with you that I know will inspire and motivate you in your schools, as well as my solo shows where I shall be sharing some great tips and strategies. So if you love the show, please do remember to review, subscribe and share it with your fellow dance boss friends. So let's get stuck into the business of dance. Well, this is very different for me. I haven't done a podcast live before. Matt, I'm so thrilled to be here at your home. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's good to have you, finally. I know you are now, but we've never met face-to-face, have we? Exactly. Um, online. Yeah, absolutely, as is everything online. Um, and I think, you know, what's what's really lovely about today is that, um, you know, you, you're so generous with the way in which you want to help other people lift them up in business um, because you're a highly successful businessman. Tell everybody, who is Matt Pedes? Well, I've had a bit of a strange life, Debs. And um, really, I'm, I'm just a child who was bullied at school and I did everything I could ac- academically, but it was just not for me. My mum was a lawyer. She was a solicitor and I was one of, she was one of 14 children. They all went off to have universities and degrees and do really well. And it's expected on the grandchildren to do the same. But with me, it just wasn't going to happen. My, my handwriting was horrendous. I was no good at maths. I had no interest in in school. And the bullying was quite intense from like five years old. Uh, and it, it never stopped, even now. I mean, I'm 44 now. Bullying is something you have to use to your advantage, which we'll talk about later. But the, the catalyst really was I was getting bullied at school so much that the child next to me, he used to come along to a martial arts class because uh, you might have to defend yourself against this guy. And uh, the first martial arts class I went to is a martial art called Jiu-Jitsu, and I didn't like it. I didn't like being thrown on the floor and people read all over me and all the rest of it, sweaty bodies. But in the room next door was something called Taekwondo, and I loved that. And it was, I had long legs. I got very good at kicking. I could already do the splits for some reason. And that became something that I knew that was going to be my career from a very, very young age. Uh, it was something I was getting praised for my instructor rather than being told I was not doing well all the time by, by the school. And um, I, I just got hooked on it. I was training six days a week after school. I'll go go and train. I'll go to the lessons as many times as I can. My parents were really against it. My dad used to call it legalised violence. <laughs> but he didn't, really, he didn't really get it, to be fair to him. And... I just knew that was what I wanted to do. And it, it came, all came about in my mathematics class. And I was about 13. And my mum kept it, you know, little exercise books where you keep, well, now they use iPads and stuff, I'm sure. But, and on the back of it, we were learning one of the GCSE mock questions, which was how many different ways can you put 50p into those red phone boxes we used to have, which are now like museum pieces. <laughs> yeah. And it was like five 10ps or two 20ps and a 10. And I just thought, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to use this ever in my career it's going to be no benefit to me and i turned to the back of the, of the exercise book and i wrote loads of goals and some of them are people from the dance industry probably understand it too you we have our own ability goals like i wanted to be able to do the splits on the chairs like john paul van damme have a six-pack have big muscles and other ones were materialistic like um, i want to have a ferrari by the time i'm 20 
I want to be the most successful martial arts instructor in the world. I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 20. And I stuck to that religiously. That was my blueprint for the rest of my life. And in a nutshell, by the time I was 18, I was making a million pounds a year. Wow. In not far from here, over that hill, a place called Barnstable. And um, they gave me six months free rent on a building. And then six months in, we had 700 members. And I was making a million pounds a year. My overheads were 400 pounds a month. It was, it was incredible. And then my, my mum and my dad were my biggest fans then. And <laughs> at first, I thought it was a bit of luck. Um, and then I, I did that four times over. And back then, we didn't have this incredible technology. We have now podcasts and Zoom. I think we had Skype, maybe. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have Facebook. We had MySpace, if I remember rightly. So I was flying back to America, backwards and forwards, because uh, a friend of mine came back and he said from the States on holiday and he said, Matt, there's these martial arts schoolers over there. They're multi-millionaires. But we're all about, like dance, we're all about standards. I don't want to compromise my standards for money. And so now they got standards too. So I was working as a lifeguard for £2.75 an hour and I saved enough money to go to a conference. It's a three-day conference in San Francisco. And it's a bit different back then to the content world of today where there's a lot of pitching that goes on. There was no pitching. So you go there for three days. You're in a room. So a thousand, literally, martial arts millionaires, a lot older than me when I was 17 at the time. And in the States, unlike here, when, you, when you've got ambition and drive, they say, I'll take you out for dinner. I'll show you how it's done. Follow me around for the next two weeks. Take notes down for the next three days. In the UK, they want to stab you on the back and... and gossip about you cause problems it's the big difference there so the owner of the conference he was called um, nicholas Bikinas. he was in his 80s and he was so impressed as a 17 year old saving my two pounds 25 an hour and my three pound a class and doing my martial arts classes in north devon he took me under his wing and he said um if i'm going to make you rich i might as well make you famous as well and he said uh i'm going to give you everything you need to, need to know about running the martial arts school i don't know if it's going to work in england but take it back, I'll follow these people around. I mean, my girlfriend at the time, she hated me for it. It was supposed to be three-day event, two weeks in, in holiday. And it didn't turn out that way at all. I'll get up at four in the morning and following the most successful school owners around. And I came back with these, all these notes on the airplane. I remember going through it all. And I, I would say 60 70% of it worked. And the other bits didn't were like the hugs and the high fives and, you know, all the, yeah, yeah, the high energy type stuff. And um, it was me and two others who were the first people ever to put people on with standing orders back then, but direct debit in the martial arts industry. We professionalized it. We made it educational, made it life skills, and not just about kicking and punching. And, um, yeah, that got me booted out of the organization I was in. They kicked me out because, like, you can't do that. You can't change this. You need to count in Korean, uh, which is what's the point of that? We're English, and the point counting in Korean. With all respect to them, you've got the, the names of the kicks were in Korean. And we started modernized the martial arts. We had music on in certain parts of the lessons to keep the energy high. Had homework for the kids. They had to be good at, at home and at school. They couldn't go for the next kind of grade. We changed the grades order as well, which is a big no-no. So I really went against the grain. But um, I had my mentors over there who now come to me for advice. Now, one of the main ones, now he's 65 and he flies over to me to come to my conferences now. So it's... So I'm ever learning outside of the sector now, I would say, because we pretty much reached the top of our sector. So I go outside of the sector for different things that I want to learn. But yeah, that's me in a nutshell, other than obviously the 
the crazy side of it, the show business stuff, which I'm sure we'll get onto later. It's actually seeing your notes, actually. So. <laughs> Stop looking at That'll be happening. That's me. I'm just a boy with no qualifications from school, with a drive to prove the bully's wrong, my parents wrong, my family wrong, and to be a millionaire by the time I was 20, and that happened. I was a millionaire by the time I was 20, and I was financially free by the time I was 22, because I invested a lot in property. I had my Ferrari, 20 Ferrari 355, and... Um, and the rest is history, has and it? the rest is history, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Wow, what an incredible journey. Even in those first few years, like that's yeah. not something that took you 20 years to get to that stage. I mean, where do you, I mean, I think actually you've answered this, the entrepreneurial side that you obviously had. Do you think that came from the bullying? From the bullying, like I'm going to prove you wrong mm. one day and and uh, you watch this. And also my mum was very inspiring because she had four boys. I'm one of four and the other three younger than me. So she homes she homeschooled. She started off as a legal executive, which is like an assistant to a lawyer. And then she homeschooled. So I used to always watch her studying. And one thing that stuck out was that she used to say there's no such word as cats, Matthew. And she actually believed in me to an extent. She like, you know, you can you can make this happen, my son, you know, and I really believe you can do it. Whereas everyone else didn't. I remember my granddad, my dad's dad gave me a big lecture once, like, you gotta get a trade. You got to be electrician or plumber in his shed in, in Swindon and stop throwing your legs around Matthew. That's never going to make you any money. Give me a real hard time. But that was the finesse side of my family. My dad's side, that was, they all worked for the Brunel in Swindon. And going back right to my great, 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 great grandfather, they all worked there. So they expected me to do the same. So I kind of broke them all. But mum believed in me. And also on the other side of it, my mum's dad, was seven times Irish weightlifting champion and he was picked for the Rome Olympics in 1960. So he had a lot of belief in me. He had all these children, 14 kids that he was pumping out. Not one of them was athletically inclined to be like him, you know, be a, a champion, gymnastics, weightlifting and so on. So he took me under his wing and he taught me all about weight training and stuff. And I used to go train with him when I was 13 to 18 at his house. And he to have some of that level take me under his wing and he was, he was quite tough on all of us grandchildren. There's a lot of them, as you can imagine. There must be over 150 of us, um, especially religiously. But with me, he cut the slack because he wanted one of his children or grandchildren to actually, be, actually go out there and be athletic. And, yeah, I mean, it was sad at the time because my mum and dad didn't really pay an interest in visiting my classes or seeing me train. They were against it. But my grandfather used to get on the bus and come watch me train, which meant a lot to me. Mm. So I had those influences all around me. And yeah, when you got when you're being told you can't do something all the time, and it, it makes you. And I find that all the time. All my successful millionaire, billionaire friends—they've all been bullied at school, or had pain points that triggered it. Yeah, and that's 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 the key, I think. Yeah, and I think very often, you know, even if it's later on in your business, when something might happen, like COVID, or you yeah. have a marriage breakdown, or you know, something goes wrong in your life, I think, mm. you know, for me personally. I have been lucky enough not to have been bullied, but I had a real desperate stage in business where things were really not great. And it was from that lowest point that I then found the tenacity and the, you know, the the passion to find the answers, to, to make it work. Mm. So I sometimes think when life is too easy, we don't have that drive, do we? No. I do believe in the law of attraction, Debbie. I really do. Because you can't look back at my life and think, it, that was all happening just by chance because it's been mental. And I, and I, it's only the last since COVID, 
so, so for anyone who's watching that was three years ago now that I look back and I think okay my life's been damn unusual and the things I wrote down and believed in has happened and the people I've got to meet and mix with and your network is your network you know and uh, and I do believe in that. I, I'm not so much a religious person. I believe there's like a higher power or something, but I do this law of attraction thing. I do think there's a lot to that. I really do. If you, you can manifest things and make it happen, because everything I've wanted to do has happened and appeared in my life. Yeah. And and I've got no way of explaining that. It's too magical to be not true. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I love that. And But what I also am hearing, you know, you were also somebody that knew from a very early age that if you wanted to be really successful, go find and hang out with really successful I learned that from Tony Rob. So, <laughs> so the only thing I felt I could do is um, I worked as a personal trainer at a gym and I saw the owner of the gym, Holy Self-Help Books there, Les Brown and Tony Robbins. Um, the first book I read, which was bought for my, I believe it was my 17th birthday by my girlfriend, it was um, Unleash the Power Within by Tony Robbins and I must have read that about 15 times and he's a big believer in modeling so find someone that's done what you've done copy them and make it better and that's been the concept of my life so I studied the best in the world which are in America which tend to be in America they all seem to be ahead of us and I studied what they did and tried to make myself a better version of what they've got and bring it to the UK and, and do something that no one else doing now you're going to get a lot of hate for that because they have to say in that um, the lead dog gets all the forms but they taught me that earlier on they said to me matt this is going to happen you're going to get hated on you get gossiped on and back then it was gossip and graffiti now it's keyboard warriors and stuff like that but they're your real true fans but yeah it, it, it was uh having a model you always need to have someone to look up to to go to now it's difficult for me now because i've i've done wow very 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 well so for me to find people that i would say i would look up to they're various people, you know, who I would look up to and so on. It's not about the money for me anymore or anything like that. It's it's more about the family side. I've got six children, which I've got a balance. And, uh, yeah, longevity of life and staying healthy. And I lost mum at a young age. I lost her. She was 56 at breast cancer. I was 32. And that was the pivotal moment for me. That was probably more powerful than the bully. So, I mean, when you put your mum in the ground at 32, you realise what's important in life. It's not the 30 million pounds you've got in the bank account or your Ferraris and your big houses. It's so, wow. That's, I can't, I couldn't even save her. You know, even buying 50,000 pound experimental drugs didn't happen. Mm. You know, and I thought, a big shot, I could do that. But that was a big wake-up call for me. But having a model is very important. You, you can't do this on your own. And why would you? Why do you want to spend 30 years trying to work it out? when you can follow a blueprint three to five years and just get the job done. Yeah. And you know what I really respect is the fact that there are obviously ways that it was done in, in the UK. You know, there was the, the martial arts school that you grew up in. There was what yeah. you saw around you. And going over to the States and seeing how it was done differently in a completely different location, different culture, you realise that actually the way you'd like to do it wasn't how it was being done back in the UK. It was actually quite different. So to come back to the UK and break that mold, yeah, like that took some guts, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. They kicked the first thing that happened, like I said, they kicked we belonged to this martial arts organization. They kicked me out because I wasn't going to follow their rules. That took some guts. My back was up against the wall. I, I me me and I keep referring to her, we should have my good friends. Me and my girlfriend Melissa, we had um we had four bed sits 
in North Devon. They were all about 30 to 35 pounds a week. And we'd turn the sofa into a bed at night and back the next day. Well, I didn't sheep it most of the time, I'm honest. Little tiny kitchen and shower. That was basically it. The first three of them I got evicted from. And it's so humiliating because I wanted to prove my parents that I could I could make this damn thing work. But I was collecting three pounds a class in a ice cream container and taking it to the bank. I was doing all right there. I was making 100 pounds a week or something, you know. And back then, I, that was fine. And that combined with the lifeguard at £2.75 an hour, I was quite happy. But the, yeah, the pain of getting evicted. And then on the fourth bed sit, things started to happen. So I brought this stuff back from America. I introduced it. I didn't mind getting kicked out of the organisation I was in because it, it, I had nothing to lose anyway. I mean, I was living in the bed, so I had no money. I couldn't go back to my parents. There was no way that was going to happen. No chance. So I had to make this thing work. So I just implemented everything from the States. I had to modify a lot of it, implemented it in. I shut everyone down. Well, that was the scariest part. When they're paying you £3 a lesson and you're turning them into £49 a month memberships by, I'll say direct debit because a lot of people won't even know what standing order is. That was, but they they trusted in me. I, they believed in me. I maybe had one or two who said no. Everyone else did it. And that gave me that stable income. Because what would happen, summertime would come, no one would turn up, especially in Devon. One day to go to the beach, I wouldn't get paid. Five would turn up. Whereas that stabilized my income where I'd had, I had about 100 members. So I'd have five, six thousand pounds a month coming in. And my rent was 15 pounds per night, twice a week. So 30 pounds a week overhead. So I, I was doing well. I thought it was luck at the time. That was before the um, full-time center where I had 700 members. So, so yeah, it, it took a lot of guts, but I just didn't see it like that. And I, I think back then too, there was three of us. It was me, Lee Charles, and a guy called Kim Stones. They were a lot older than me. And I think I was a bit of a test case. So I was like, let Matt do it first. Let Matt do it in Devon. So yeah. he gets let on. Flat on his yeah, face yeah. And then we got mortgages and stuff. He's on the bed sit. Let Matt do it. Matt, go and try this standing order thing. Direct Debbie, see how it goes. Go and try changing the vowels and see how it goes. It might not be the case, but I'm pretty sure looking back at it. I saw speak to those guys and and uh, yeah, they're very proud of what I've done. But but no, it did take some guts, but you um that's what you've got to do. You got to, no no one gets successful without taking risks. You you've got to just take the risk and go. It's not even a risk. I mean, it's a calculated risk. It's working over there. Why won't it work here? The difference is you can make money from kicking and punching. You're not going to make money from dance sequences. You're going to make money from the education you plug in around that. Parents will look at your your dance teachers and they will want their kids to to be like that. The dance teachers need to represent what their kids what they want their kids to be when they're older. And the same with me. They'll look at my franchisees and my instructors. They're not interested in how high they can kick or how many championships they want. They're interested in is that a perfect role model for my child? You know, what education might, are they going to come out of? I, I don't want them to have a life like I've had. You know, maybe they're struggling on the breadline, hard, hard to pay their bills. And we teach everything. And I've always made a thing about this. Everything the school system doesn't teach, MF martial arts and MF dance does teach. We plug the gaps. So goal setting, respect, discipline, anti-bullying, they touch on that, but we go in big detail. Fire safety, water safety, um, first aid, how to put mum and dad into a recovery position, dial 999, grandparents look out for strokes and illnesses. We cover absolutely everything the school system should be teaching. Good debt, bad debt, investing, what a mortgage is. We, we go into great detail with all the students, yeah. Wow, that's really interesting, actually, yeah. because most of us with these type of service-based 
businesses, you know, we focus in on the thing that we're teaching. So that's really interesting to see that you're teaching much more than just, you know, the thing they come for, which is obviously yeah. the martial arts, but that the value that you're giving is then way higher than just a martial arts class. Yeah, the martial arts and dance should be the hook, but what should be what you should be selling is the benefits. So if we talk about dance, which is obviously the subject of this podcast, then they should be selling respectful, you know, being disciplined, having a positive role model, um, turning up on time, understanding that it's not just a dance club, it's a dance school. And just like they don't want to go to academic school, they need to go to the dance school because we don't want to teach our children to give up, but they have to persist. But I, it's the hook. But where people go wrong in dance or martial arts or any other service-based business is they focus on too much on the service. The service has got to be good, but they are parents are interested. What can you do for my child? What can you do for me? How can you make me lose weight? And so on. They're not interested in 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 what you've been and done. Of course, they want you to be DVS check safeguarding and all the rest of it, qualified properly. But it's the adverts, the marketing is just so key to everything, which you're not going to get anywhere. But there's three areas of, of service business. You've got the you've got the marketing, which is getting your brand out there, getting your name out there and generating leads. Then you've got sales, which is a bit of a dirty word, but in dance and martial arts, you don't need to have a sales procedure. If you, the benefits are so good, people will buy from you anyway. If you're such a good role model, then you'll buy from you if the product's there. And the third bit is what you get to do, which is provide dance classes and martial arts classes. What people go wrong is they go straight to the third bit and they focus all their effort on dance planning, dance classes, music routines but they got no one to teach in the first place they should get number one too right the marketing sales you're not going to get anywhere in business and that's where it goes wrong those three elements are the key parts that you need to get right if you want to if you want to build an income how far you want to take it's up to you nobody probably want to go as far as i've gone because it's, it's mad um but if you you could easily build six seven figures a year profit running dance schools if you just get those three areas right mm. which is basically sales and marketing and retaining your students for free good service that's yeah. basically what it is yeah absolutely and i think one of the things in the uk and you can probably vouch for this having spent a lot of time in, in the states we're really bad at the shouting about how great we are and what we deliver and you know i have a lot of clients that you know i have to twist their arm behind their back just to put a photo of themselves on their website yeah, you know they're yeah. so busy saying it's not about us it's about the kids and it's about the, what i love about teaching but you know it's no good like you said if your classes are empty because you can't get them in and you have to shout about yourself loudly <laughs> you gotta be the most aggressive marketer out there i've got where i am debbie because i am the most aggressive marketer in my industry to the point of upsetting people i want to upset people i want to be in their face so much with my pr my media my social media my mainstream media today getting, i am sick of seeing this guy because that's when there's the rule um jay abraham who's one of my mentors who's a people should study his books and stuff he's, he's great he's a marketing wizard and it's it's been studied people have to see things seven times before they respond to it we're, we're bombarded with about forty thousand different marketing messages a day so you need to make sure so they might go to a fate and see a dance display then they might get a leaflet through the through the door of your qr code they might see a facebook ad you know then they might get a school assembly might be a mum's special workshop with dance fitness class or something. Once they see things seven times, they know up, oh, then they'll react. That's what the science has shown. So with my with my team, 
I've always been aggressive with anything I do. And I've learned that from my mentors too. They're not necessarily the best singers, the best dancers, the best at what they do, but they're incredible at marketing and selling their product. I mean, I'll give you an example. I'm sure you wouldn't mind me saying it because I think he pretty much does it. Go and watch the Robbie Williams Netflix. There's a documentary that's come out. Uh, I've met Robbie a few times, and it's fair to say I know a lot of very, very incredible singers, including my wife. He's an amazing number one artist in South Africa. Robbie admits he's not the greatest singer in the world, but he can market himself like nobody else, and he can get you in your face. He can make headlines. He knows what he's doing. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think with dance people, instructors, school owners, martial artists, gymnastics, what they got to understand too, if you take a famous athlete, like, you know, back in our day, say Linford Christie, I don't know who it would be today because I don't really watch mainstream stuff. Like, say say um, with the football, let's say Ronaldo, that's a good one. He, he's going to have a coach behind him. He'll have somebody who's drilling at him, telling him what to eat, making sure he turns on the try, pushing him when he's down. But he clearly can't be as good as football as what Ronaldo is. Otherwise, he'll be Ronaldo. And people get mixed up on this. They think that that they need to be this outstanding dancer or outstanding martial artist to attract people in. No, they don't. Because the biggest stars in the world all have coaches and mentors who are not as good as them, but they have aspects that can teach them. So you need to be a good coach, good at communication, good at marketing, good at sales, and retaining them. So, so I have to say, when you open the front doors as wide as you can, you bring as many students as you can, ethically in the right way, and then you shut the back door and you retain them. And so if you focus on those two things, then you're, you're always going to have business. So then you've got to build your bench strength, build your team, because there's going to be times where you're going to be sick. You won't be able to take your class. You don't want to be shutting your class down if you're sick. That's unprofessional in this day and age. You need to build a bench strength. What happens if you want to take a holiday? What happens if you get pregnant? What, what happens if, you know... It, it's, your child breaks her arm and you can't go to the class. You should have people who can step in and take your role. They might not be good at all three of those things, but the first thing that all dance instructors should be taught is number one, marketing and then sales. If they can't get past those points, then forget going to number three because that's the job. That's what they get to do and they get mixed up in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the problem is when they start out in business, that's what they start with, them and a church hall yeah. and a few kids and it's all about the class. And all of a sudden they realize they've got a business. And the number of people that I deal with, I'm sure you're the same, Matt, that don't even see themselves as a business person. Yeah. When I say your business, they kind of look at me as if to go, Absolutely. And just trying to get around the kind of the mindset of I'm a business owner and you know, my business is whatever I want to make it, well, however I want to steer it, whatever direction I want it to go in. I think. Because we're teachers first, yeah, it's all of a sudden we go from being a teacher to a CEO or a founder or you know a leader of people, yeah, um, and most of the time without any help. So I have this saying that you know don't be a professional winner because yeah, yeah, yeah. most people in business actually, unless they've had a really great coach or mentor, are just kind of getting up and winging it, aren't they? On a day until they make it. And I, I, the problem lies with is that they're turning their passion into their profession and up until recent years in your industry i know for a fact no one's been doing what you've been doing there's no one teaching you how to turn your passion into profession to make it an income so i turned my passion and my instructor was dead against me earning money doing martial arts though I, it was bizarre and that organization that kicked me out just three or four years after they copied me they started doing everything i was doing now it's mainstream everyone tries to copy what whatever we do 
I'm happy about that. It's the biggest compliment they could do on earth to try and copy what I do. If they, in fact, if most of them called me up, I'll tell them how to do it anyway because there's enough out there for everybody. But it's turning your passion into profession and you need someone to guide you how to do that. And that's not something... I did it by studying. And honestly, I must have done... I tried to work it out. I think it was 13 flights to America in two years. Wow. You don't have to do that nowadays. You just do an online course. Get someone like you who's been there and done it. You know, go to go to events. Network with the right people in the right circles. Be the, be the poorest person in the, in the room. And it's not about the money, because but the money is a measure of your success. So if you're not making much money, there's a few things wrong. Your marketing's wrong. Your sales is wrong. Or you're just not keeping your students because you're not providing a good enough service. So money to me is a point scoring system. So when I look at the money coming in, I can look at an individual school owner and say, well, there's something wrong there because they're not doing what they should do. And I can point it down to marketing sales or retention. And it means we just zoom in, make their classes better or and up their lesson planning maybe, or then be not being aggressive enough with our marketing. I require all of them by the fifth of each month. They need to have 15 ideas in the diary, well, not ideas, strategies of marketing to bring members in every month. They have to do that because if, if they leave it to the following month, it's too late. You can't, you can't plan a, a marketing campaign in a day. So by the fifth of each month, all my franchises, whether it's dance or martial arts, have to have fifteen either paid for or not paid for or low cost or no cost events in their diary. Which I should be able to bring anyone up now and say, "What's your five fifteen um, for the following month?" And then they'll never go wrong. And um, as long as you uh, take twenty members a month for on every single month, then uh, your law is going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of the success I'm sure they have from that comes around that accountability. Yeah. Because most dance school owners are on their own. They've got no one to answer to, no one to push them. If they're a bit stressed, they've got a performance coming up, you know, there's no one there mu getting them to do that marketing. There's no one there saying, well, you know, it's, it's still got to happen, whether you're yeah. a busy person or not. So I think... Um, you know, if you're a part of a license program or a franchise, then obviously you get that from, you know, from the, the network and from the, the team at head office. But I think if you're not part of a franchise, then that's where things like uh, people like me come in, where yeah. there's a mentorship, um, there's a program. I don't hold every single person accountable because they're not part of a franchise and they're big grown up people. So yeah. if they don't show up, then that's yeah. up to them. But I, I'll be giving them the ideas. I'll be pushing the strategies. I'll be holding them accountable in terms of, right, put it out there. What is it that you're going to do? Helping them with their action plans. Um, and even that is better than just sitting on your own somewhere yeah. in your kitchen table trying to work out why your business is not earning you. No, you, you just need to follow the blueprint. And all the mistakes that you've made, they're, they're not going to make. And that's the idea. I mean, I've got, I got one person who pays me around about £100,000 a month, and they never regret it because their life changed and they did dance schools as well as martial arts schools. And um, he says to me all the time, Matt, I don't regret paying you that because I only make money if they make money for a start. So I have to put my work in for them all. And um, I got some people who pay me 10, 20,000 a month and they don't turn up to any events. And I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong with you all? The things change, things evolve. We're in a new world now. You need to unlearn what you knew before the pandemic and learn the new stuff because it's changing. You've got to come to events. You've got to come to online courses. You've got to listen to podcasts because things things are changing. You know, like TikTok's a big thing now. And Facebook's changing all the time. You need to know what's the latest tactics and stuff. And you've got to unlearn to learn.
It used to be you've got to learn to earn. Now you've got to unlearn to learn because things are in a different world now. So I thought I would just share with you guys today the um, planners that I have produced for dance school owners because these are flying out of Amazon like hotcakes and if you don't have yours yet then all you have to do is pop to Amazon and type into the search Deborah Laws and all three books will come up. So the ultimate dance business planner I designed for you so that you had a little bit of a Deborah on your desktop. (laughs) The planners are full of business training, tips, motivational quotes, Uh, things to do at the start of the month, things to do at the end of the month, ways in which you can plan out your marketing and your retention. And they are selling all over the world. So go to Amazon, grab your number one best-selling ultimate dance business planner and enjoy mapping out the growth for your studio. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And for people that have had schools a really long time, Um, you know, I often hear from more established principals, you know, it's a scary world because there's a lot of youngsters coming along that know all this stuff, you know, that know how to do TikTok, that know how to create reels. You know, I've got some really beautiful principals that, you know, struggle to work out how to turn the computer on. So it's, it's scary when so much has changed, you know, the days when we used to go to a news agent and pay 50p to put a postcard in the window that was part of our marketing strategy or poster on a tree somewhere like none of that works anymore does it and if you're not keeping up either through a mentorship or going to events like you said or even consuming free stuff because there's a lot of of free stuff podcasts being one of those um you really can get left behind that's that's scary for someone that's been around a while i'm learning all the time i don't stop i'm always studying different people and different things and looking at works every day it does change it's true especially like social media that changes on a daily basis and they change their algorithms with different words you can say and what you can't say and what and adverts and things but the principles of business will always stay the same it's like as long as you are aggressive in marketing and you provide a good service you're going to be okay but you've got to build a team that's the other element you need to build teams too but yeah the ones that have been doing it i call them the old school ones and i was one of them once who didn't want to change this? I don't want to play music in my lessons. I don't want to change the color of the belts and so on. But look, you you, you live once. You, you can either do it the old school way, where you they teach you to just about pay your bills, have one holiday a year, and then um, retire at 65, 67, or be, be 80 by the time they keep pushing it back, don't they, all the time? Try and live off your pension. You've got arthritis. Take take a few holidays, a few holidays and die. That doesn't excite me. With, with dance and any service industry sports business at the moment you've got this ability now to go out there and create something and i think everyone should be building generational wealth for their kids because we've been for that pandemic was tough on this industry and billions were made from that that won't be the last pandemic there'll be global warming there'll be also even last year they got to stay in our homes because it was like 42 degrees or somewhere in camp didn't they and we all I'm not a conspiracy theorist, I think I'm realistic. And I think that we, there's a lot of wars going on at the moment, right? And and we have a duty as parents, and I've got six children. What motivates me is to leave generational wealth. I'm big into property. We've got the biggest property portfolio in the southwest of the UK. And I build that for them. I'll never sell any of them. And um, 
I think it's our duty to be doing stuff like that. And you need to observe the masses and do the opposite. So if you're one of those people who are doing dance schools before this education come along, you need to make that change. If you struggle paying your bills and you, you want to make sure your kids are okay and your grandkids and so on, to follow the systems. And what I have in my martial arts business works for dance, works for gymnastics, works for Pilates. Um, I've even made it work for HMOs, houses of multiple application, you know. But the, the goal in, in life really should be to earn a six, seven figure income per year, but that's profit, not turnover, because um, turnover is vanity, profit's sanity. People keep focusing, especially in this personal development world, it drives me mad. Turnover, two million, but my profits hundred thousand. Well, you're not even you shouldn't even be in business. You need six, seven figures profit, then take that and invest it in an asset class that will pay you money forever that you don't have to work for. For me, that's real estate wherever you're watching this from a property. I love that. And I because I understand that I've been doing it over 20 years. I don't I don't invest in it. I got a Lamborghini which I invested in, which will go up in value and uh, that Ferrari here we saw somewhere that that will go up in value. The houses I buy will go up in value. I bought this one for five hundred thousand, so it's worth two and a half million now. And you got to do the right thing. So six six figures first. And we talked earlier before the podcast. You can't do all this at once. People go to an event and they come back with overwhelm, and they try and do everything. You got to focus on your core business. Six figures profit, not gross. Gross is nonsense. And then start studying what asset class is working right now. That can pay me forever where money works for me and I don't have to work for money. Mm. Yeah. What great, great, great advice. Um, I'd love to know it's, you know, there's so much success that we're hearing, you know, things that have gone so well, but of course it's not always well, plain so sailing. Well, but you don't hear about the stuff that's gone well. <laughs> well, I have got that written down. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, let's just go with one, one big mistake. Okay, well, I, when I'm on stage doing entrepreneurial talk, because I, I tend to talk on entrepreneurial stages now to every sector, because what I teach is for every sector. So I don't really teach on martial arts stages, only my own people. But I've got people who can do this better than me now because they're on the mats every night or dancing. Like your dance teachers would be, you know, you're, you're, you know the business, but I'm sure you know people who can do dance teacher better than you. So I delegate that out. Mistakes. Okay, so I, I, I try and fire through some of them. I mean, the first one, I won't say it was a mistake, but my divorce was a, was a real shake-up. That, that, was, that was interesting. Not, not so much because I, I won't regret it. Actually, I've got Monique, and it's wonderful. We've been married, got nearly 13 years, and got three kids of her. I've got three kids of my ex, Marcy, and me, with me and her going really well. We don't have this half-brother, half-sister thing. But the work-life balance thing, I know this is quite a subject, but between the age of 17 and 32, I was flipping obsessed to the point I lost my marriage over that. There's no doubt about it. And, and that was painful because when you're me and you, you're single for three or four years and you go on a date, they're going to Google you. You know, I've been obviously girls who I've been dating and then they'll have a picture come on their phone of Michael Jackson and you can see it and you're like, oh, dear me, you know, and, and, um, they, they already know they've got this preconceived idea of what you're going to be like. They know you are feel successful and so on. And everything's out there, whether it's true or not, because I was so obsessed with my career. So getting the work-life balance, I got that completely wrong. And I was honest, I went on a TV show called Rich House, Poor House. I did two episodes, and I went on there. That's kind of like an apology to my ex-wife. Look, I don't know what, what was right back then. I was 17. I was 
making all this money. And she said to me, how much more do you want? We've got the mansion, we've got the Ferrari you wanted, you've got a 20, you've got three beautiful kids. How much do you want? But there's this drive in me. I just want someone to sit and watch soaps in the evening, watch TV. I want to be learning, you know, just who I am. So work-life balance. The other one too is thinking everyone's going to be around all the time. Because my mother was like the biggest inspiration to me. And I wanted her to be a big part of all of this incredible empire of Bill. And unfortunately, she's missed out on Monique and the three kids. She met Monique on a deathbed twice. And I thought I was invincible, Debbie, because everything I put my hands to turned to flipping gold, literally, you know. And, and when she first told me she had cancer, she was 43, and she got over it. And it came back again when she was about 51. And me being Mr. Big Shot, knowing the most powerful men in the, and women in the world, having access to people, things that you don't have access to. Because that's one thing about having a network. I, I can get people on the phone, that the average person. I can get doctors on the phone who would respond to me because of my past. It's wrong and it shouldn't be like that. So I had the best breast, breast cancer professor for my mum. We spent £50,000 on experimental drugs and I still lost that. And then, then you start realising what's important in life. So the material stuff, I really couldn't care less. If I lost all this tomorrow, the Ferrari, the Lamborghini, all and my houses, and I don't care because of what I've been through with the divorce, losing loved ones, my grandparents, and it's stuff you find very hard to teach to people because you have to experience it. And I don't want people to experience it. It's the worst thing ever. You lose your mum at 56. But that was, after that day, I was never the same. I was never materialistic. I couldn't care less. I just couldn't care less about, I like the material stuff, but like I'm attracted to guys. That's how I am all the time. I, If I have to get dressed up, I will. But I, I tell my wife to shop in, in um, Primark and, or whatever, maybe Tesco's. I'm not, I'm not flash. I am who I am. If you don't like it, then that's fair. And that's the way. Funny enough, I have builders on this house and they're, they're like, Matt, so much wrong here. You're the multi-millionaire. We're your builders. We're better dressed than you. That's what you <laughs> say to me. So, so caring too much about material things, what people think about you used to really keep me up at night. And uh, I look back and think, why did I even give that time of day? And I can't change that now. So that's been and gone. It's silly things. I, I remember in the early days, losing sleep over a competitor taking my posters down. Mad, isn't it? But I look back and I think, what an idiot. Um, yeah, but the, the other thing to it too, I wouldn't change anything either because I have a great relationship with my three older daughters from my first marriage, and I'm honest with them. I said, look, Daddy was busy back then. I've had a very unusual life, but to me, it was normal to... I didn't know any different. I never had a normal job, ever. So I've always been a multimillionaire. I've always been able to buy what I want. I never had nothing to compare it to. My friends were not normal. When they wrote up the list for my first wedding... Everybody on there needed security detail. It was it was ridiculous. And they understand that now because they're 20, 17, and 16. No, daddy's had an unusual life. And I try and make up for the, for them now, you know, and it's like I'm very well, my ex. So we laugh and joke about it. It was our wedding anniversary the other day. We would have been married 23 years. And I I said it was a good thing it wouldn't, because we we both would have jumped off baggy points together, which is a cliff not far from here. And she said, Yeah, I, I would have gone first. You know, we laugh about it now because we just would not yeah, it's just I'm just unusual, guess because of my childhood, you know? Yeah. But I think work-life balance, be grateful for what you got. So that we got this magnificent home here. Um, and Monique comes from a very poor background in South Africa, where she was held at gunpoint, everything was taken away from her. They, they literally had toast and water to live off. 
And sometimes I will wake up and I'll look out over the hills here and think, oh, I'm not successful. She's like, what's wrong with you? You know, but it's just the way I'm wired, I guess. I just want this to achieve. And it's not about the money. It's about generational wealth. And I'm 44. I like to think I'm going to live a long time. And uh, I need to fulfill it. And I enjoy it. I love it. I get a thrill out of changing people who are struggling financially and now they're not. And they, they want to be a millionaire, and it's happened. Uh, and it improves their marriages and relationships because most people stress in life because they they haven't got any enough money, enough money, you know. And me and Monique have been together all this time. We never spent a day or night other than our three children being born and one of them being sick in hospital. We've been together day and night. That's just the way we work as a unit. And people find that strange, but but it works. So I, I I've learned to value now what's important, which is relationships, friendships, network. And the material stuff that everyone's striving to get all the time, the people with the private jets they don't own and the Lamborghinis they don't own, they've got to be careful what they consume. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I wouldn't change anything because it's been remarkable. I've got Monique and my ex-wife, Marcia, has got to be married again, and he does work for me too. My properties have gone very well with him. The, the six children are very, very close. But uh, I think I would have, for the sake of material thing, because there's, there's a certain amount of money you get to, which is about 10 million in today's world. 20 years ago, it would have been 1 million. But for today's world, 10 million is about the new 1 million. After that point, you, nothing changes. You don't need anything else. Nothing changes, you know. Who wants to go first class on a flipping flight when it, the chances are it's going to be a long haul? You're going to sleep for it all anyway. <laughs> it's pointless when you look at it it's ridiculous and when you've got six kids I don't work out so you need to be with them all the whole time but yeah well you get a certain part of finance you do really well everything else apart from that becomes irrelevant um, and it's the relationships around you that suffer so the few things that, one of the biggest things I regret is due to my success and probably a lot of ego before mum died I have no relationship with my other brothers my dad's still alive but no relationship with him and it's been like 16 years now and we it would be difficult too because we my life's been weird and if we got together it would be very what would we talk about you know so my dad's never met uh he wouldn't know my my his grandchildren he's met he's met the the three older one but he wouldn't know them and he hasn't met monique and so forth and things I, if i could go back i would change that what he's still alive he's 70 now i believe and um my brothers i'd have them back in my life too in some shape or form if i could but it's hard. After time goes on, you grow apart, and, and and grandparents die. You kind of keep things gelled together. My life's so ridiculously normal, a normal, and and the media. You know, they, I wake up some days and some wacky story about me and my family. Probably think, oh, what's he doing now? And they're embarrassed of my surname some days and proud the other days. So, but you have no control of that. That's just what comes with it. But yeah, I, I would repair all that. I think if I could go back, but other than that. Um, uh, it's all worked out well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is, for some people listening that haven't come across you before, um, there's a little bit of a missing piece in the puzzle here because we're hearing a lot about the school and the martial yeah. arts um, and the success through that and the property. And then we're hearing about this kind of connection with... We're not going to get away with the Michael Jackson thing, the dance podcast, are we? <laughs> hey, everyone, everyone wants to know. Like, I, know. I mean, you could be really successful running a dance school or even a dance franchise, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily link you with celebrities and fame yeah. and everything else. Where did, you, where did that come into your life? Yeah, it's very relevant to this podcast because Michael is considered one of the most, probably most famous skilled dancers in the world. 
I'd imagine to your industry, isn't it? And and there isn't a day I goes past I don't get asked about him. So Michael is I still call like he is, like he's still here. Strange because his music's always playing and he's a big part of my life. So when I was 18 and was making a million pound a year, I had a journalist. It was a freelance agency called Southwest News. He was a parent of one of my two of my students in my basketball school. And he said, Matt, you've had no qualifications you've been bullied i've done the figures you're making a lot of money and i had the car outside i to show it off and stuff stupid things like that and um he said do you mind if i do a story on you and i really there was two big dreams for me i wanted to be in the local paper because you you seek acknowledgement you seek um, recognition because you never had it in childhood and i and i wanted to be recognized that look i've done it i've made it i wanted to be in that local paper and it was called the north devon gazette um, which is you laugh if you are talking like twenty thousand readers, right? Especially what happened next, anyway. And then the other thing too is I don't know if you have a publication like this, but back then on my BMX bike when I was a kid at seven, eight years old, I would get my pocket money and I'd go and cycle to the local news agents once a month and buy a magazine called Martial Arts Illustrated, which was seen as the like the the industry magazine, and you'd have John Claude Van Damme on the front and Bruce Lee, and you'd read about all the top martial artists in the world. And I would one day would love to be in there and be acknowledged for my art and for what I do. So that was my two big goals. So I said to this guy, let's do the interview. So he interviewed me about my school life, um, about money. He didn't talk too much about money. And then he took pictures of me in my sports car. And and as he left, I said, do you think we're going to make the local newspaper? And do you think I can get into the martial arts magazine? He said, I'm not sure about the martial arts magazine, because that's trade press, but... Pretty sure you're going to get the local newspaper, map. And it went quiet for two days. And they, they put it on how media works. They put it on the newswire, once they've got it already with the pictures. So he put it on the newswire internationally. And my God, it was it was when newspapers were, like the Sun newspaper would get 20 million like bought every day. And they were all like that. I woke up and it was landlines were ringing off the hurt. What the heck is going on? And I had paparazzi outside the door. And I was on the front page of all the tabloids, the Sun, the Mirror, the Daily Mail, all of them. Bully Boy Becomes Millionaire. And I had a picture of me as a seven-year-old kid um, looking all very naive and vulnerable and a picture of me doing the punch. And it went everywhere. It was massive. And I freaking loved it, if I'm honest, Dave. I was walking around Barnsville thinking, I've done it, man. And, and everyone's going to see this. All my cousins, all my family, my mum and dad are going to see I, I am the tabloid man. I'm everywhere. It was all positive, too. And then on the back of that, what happens is TV shows, they scan the newspapers. They still do it now, but they do it online as well. And they pluck people for the TV show. So I had an invite to come on a TV show. A lot, some of you listeners will remember it. Um, I don't know what you compare it to, but it was called Trisha. Do you remember Trisha? Yeah, yeah. Like a talk show. And they had my mum on there with me, and they, they tried to find my bully. That was their thing, but they couldn't find him. The, the person who inspired this whole their journey. And they got me to do a kick and everyone was clapping. And I was there to inspire children. If you're bullied, look what, you, what could be done. And then I did um, Kilroy. Remember mm -hmm. that one? Yeah. I did Richard and Judy. They just went on and on. And on the back of that, I was getting recognized and stuff. as probably one of the most well-known martial artists in the UK. And then on the back of that, Martial Arts Illustrated calls me. The magazine said, Matt, you, we've been seeing a lot about you. And you've really put martial arts in the forefront currently um 
But they had this funny thing. I had to go to Huddersfield where the headquarters was and I had to spar the editor, I had to fight the editor. And if he felt my standards were okay, he'd put me on the front cover. Okay. <laughs> I was up there like a shot. And I took a beating from that guy. His name's Bob Sykes. And he gave me, a, he put me on the front cover, but only a small bit, me doing my famous flying kick. But I was quite happy with that. And I, I'm on the front cover, he did a big feature on me. And then next thing that happens, I had this voicemail. And my receptionist at my main school, she said, I, there's this message from um, someone called Yuri Gelp who wants to meet you about doing an anti-bullying project. And um, to be honest, Yuri knows this. I didn't really know who he was. I was in my own little world. I remember the guy who growing up bending spoons and I got visions of that. Remembers that. I said to mum, I said, this guy Yuri Geller wants to meet you. You've got to go meet him. He's world famous. He is mega. And in the UK, he doesn't get the respect. He's seen as like the spoon bender, but he's a property tycoon. He's got TV production comes all around the world. Published forty-eight books, translated all around all around the world. So I went to see him, and as I drove through his house, he's got his twenty million pound mansion in Solomon Thames next to George Clooney, and that that was my next mentor. That was like I want this. I want to be like this guy, you know. And he came in. He was so positive, his mindset and everything. And he wanted to make a video with me where it was VHS back then. I did the martial arts side. He did the mind power, and we distributed to schools by anti billion. Little did I know, his network was another level. Being Yuri Geller, he's famous in America, and, and people want to be attached to him because he's so positive. So one night, about three in the morning, I had a phone call, again on a landline, and he said, um, and it wasn't unusual for Yuri to ring me because he's got companies around the world. So said, Matt, you've got to come to my house now. If you don't come, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. I'm like, well, how am I going to explain this to my other half? She's, can you tell me why? He said, I can't tell you why. You've got to come now. I love you. You got a Ferrari. Stop moaning. Bye. Put the phone down on me. So I trusted him. I got in the car. I had a massive row on my other half at the time. It looks like I was going cheating on or something. And I arrived at his house about 6 in the morning. And it, as I drove down, there was nothing unusual. Then there was like three SUVs outside. And I walk in the living room. And then this guy comes up to me and he bows to me. He said, hi, I'm Michael Jackson. I'm um, pleased to meet you, Master Fidesz. That's what they, they call you in, in uh, martial arts. And I think, I know who you are, but what the <laughs> heck are you doing here? And I thought it was one of these prank TV shows at first. There was quite a few of them about, like Beatles About and a few other ones and Candy Camera. I thought Yuri's got me on this prank TV show. This can't be right, surely. But sure enough, after a few minutes, I realised it was Mike. And I was like, what the hell? And it turned out Yuri Geller was mentoring him on his new album invincible and he designed the cover for invincible and they were best friends and i, I had no idea at all and we stayed up all night chatting we become very very close friends he's godfathers of my oldest daughter and then as time went on with michael it, it became obvious that the security he had for a long time had left and it's difficult when you're bodyguard or security because he's got to answer his phone they overhear all his private conversation they sell him out so I think he knew what he was doing. I was the martial arts guy. I had five schools back then. So I had access probably to about 30, 40 instructors who could help him at events and things. But I think he was quite smart in thinking that I can befriend Matt. Yuri wanted to put someone in his life that he could trust. I was already a millionaire at this point anyway, about 19, I think it was. And um, and we got on really well. And he went back, he said, I'm off to America. I, I, I took that chance, like asking a girl for the first date, have your number, Michael, you know? Well, I don't have a mobile number because otherwise people harass me and I can't 
again, he pees, but I will call you. Give me your number and I'll ring you. I'm never going to hear from this guy again. And then three weeks later, it was my 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 brother, actually, my younger brother. He calls me up and he's swearing on, on the phone to me. You would effing believe this. There's a three-minute long answer message from Michael Jackson on the answer phone. This is on the Barnstable answer phone machine. And he wants you to go to New York. He's recording his album, hang out with him for a few weeks. And, and I did that. And we we became best buddies. And then over time, I took on his security. There was never exchange of money. There was never a transactional relationship. So what happened is he would teach me how to be aggressive marketer and build a brand. And then I would take care of his personal security. And there was never any money. I think that's why it worked so well for 10 years, what happened to his death. There's no financial relationship there. And, and he was the guy who sat me down in his hotel room. And he's a billionaire, Michael was. And people, when you're Michael Jackson, people's always asking questions about how was Thriller? Do you like Demure? How's Billy Jean? All this, he got sick and tired of it. He likes asking people questions. So he'd bombard me. How's your martial arts stores going? How many students you got now? I said, I've got five, but they're in Barnsford, Biddeford, Ilfracombe, and um, Braunton, Torrington. The next town's Tiverton, which is 40 miles away. I'll never get anyone to travel 40 miles. They can stop thinking so small. I'm a poor boy from Gary, and Gary, Indiana. I've got the biggest seller album in the world now, Thriller. I fell out of stadiums of 90,000 people, eight or nine year, it, it, dates in a row. And they go to the next country and do it. Of course you can do it. It's called franchising. I said, well, Michael, no one's ever done that in the martial arts before. And he pointed out, I remember, he was big, dark eyes saying, that's exactly why you've got to do it. And he wrote, it was a Renaissance hotel, and he wrote on the napkin what I had to do, script everything out, marketing plans every month, PR, media stunts. He would put everything in. And then he introduced me to a franchise lawyer because he did lots of branding deals and licensing deals. And he kept me accountable. And he was a pain in the butt because uh, he would ring up the home, my home in Barstable, and early hours of the morning on me, uh, my ex would say, Michael's on the phone. I was like, oh, he's going to ask me how many schools have I opened up. <laughs> Tell him I'll ring him back later. And then, um, and through his little network, I got to know everyone. You, you can imagine, if you know Michael Jackson, you know, well, like Britney Spears. And it, it was, it, I remember one morning, it was a Saturday morning, and I like to lay in. I'm not an early riser at 5 a.m. club, I'm the opposite to that. And it was, uh, Michael Jackson's on, on the phone. He's called you three times. He wants you to ring him back. He said, I'll ring him back when I wake up, tell him. So I knew what he's going to ask me. Then the next one, Yuri Geller's called you. So I'll tell him I'll ring him back. Next, Britney Spears wants you to ring him back. She's trying to find Michael and has got a few questions. I'll ring her back. I'm thinking, I ain't going to give up. This is normal for a 20-year-old. This cannot be normal, you know. But they kept me accountable. They were my mentors. And, and Michael is such a perfectionist. And he used to say to me, we talked about modeling earlier on. He would study the greats at dance and music, and he would make it copy and make it better. He was very honest about that. So he would study James Brown, was a big idol of his, Fred Astaire, um, all, all the, the top people. And he would, Stevie Wonder, he would copy what they do. Charlie Chaplin was another one he got his dance moves from. And he would put it in his art and make it better. And he was all about the same with me, making sure I pushed things the extra mile. And yeah, so, so he was kind of, it was almost like having. My ex-wife were like, uh, you know, can I buy this next necklace or shall I ask Michael Jackson it's okay? Because he also would expect you to be be with him. You know, if we go on holiday and he's at New York, he'd expect me to be at Heathrow ready to pick him up because he's used to people just jumping. But I learned more from being around Mike in those 10 years than I, any self-help book he could, to, could give me. His network of people going out for dinners with people like Mohammed Al-Fayed who recently passed away. Billionaires who own Harrods in the Ritz Hotel, and I was just in my early twenties, and having that 
but we call it a mastermind now, don't we? Back then we called it networking. So for 10 years of my life, literally from 18 years old, aside from the martial arts business side of things, but from the other side of things, the, the mega stars, or not just famous people, billionaires who wouldn't know, that's quite rare, but there are some of them. Up until I was like, was I 29 and Michael died, something like that. I was around these people at dinner tables. I was the poorest person in the room and absorbing all this incredible information. And they would always talk about changing the world and ideas and making the next billion, but not for the money, for what cause it could give. And I had a big rubber for me. So, so Michael was a huge part of my life. And again, the law of attraction, when I get back to that subject with Michael Jackson, this is a strange thing, right? So he was at Yuri Geller's house for a reason. He's just done five nights, or eight nights maybe, at Wembley for the History Tour. Me and my girlfriend, I think we were the tickets were bought for us, so they're about £30. We couldn't afford them to, to go, basically, at the time. And um, it, her, I think her parents bought them for us. And I was stood with her. I didn't really want to go. I didn't know much about the guy. I remember in my PE lessons hearing having the music bad and further being played and stuff like Smooth Criminal. But we were squashed among 80,000 people thinking, what am I doing here? But when he came out, it was so mesmerizing and incredible. I was just happy to see a billionaire because that, that, that just inspired me. And on the way back, Yuri Geller called me and he said, what have you been up to? So I've just been to watch um, Michael Jackson's show. And, and I said, what do you think? It was great. Unbeknown to me, he was sat next to Michael Jackson. Yeah. So I'm there, much 80,000 people, just like anyone else. And then um, just a short while later, Michael becomes my best mate. Well, it's a good job you didn't say anything bad about it then. <laughs> yeah. But it was all right. You know, didn't think much of his it new was, book. <laughs> you couldn't hear the music, though. I remember that very vividly. I remember where I got to know Mike. Like, just to let you know, to keep some fever, Mike, when you come out on stage, the first three or four songs, you can't end up in part from screaming. He goes, yeah, I know. Just, that's been like that since I'm five years old. And, and the squash, getting squashed. Okay, it changed then. I saw a picture the other day with me and him behind stage and... And he's like that, and I'm next to him, and you can see 80,000 people waiting for him to come on. But yeah, I went from in the audience to being his mate, supporting him behind. Amazing, yeah. amazing. And I think, you know, who else can say that they've said, oh, tell him to ring back. <laughs> like... The first thing he ever said to me too, right? When Yuri introduced me to him, it's, it's, this relates to this podcast really well. He said to me, um, so Yuri said, this is Matt, he's got a successful chain of martial arts schools. And it's, they were the biggest in the country. And uh, he's very interested in martial arts. He's Bruce Lee fanatic. One of the reasons he wanted to meet me. And the first thing Michael said to me, he said, well, if you're good at martial arts, you must be good at dance. And I said, oh, I can't dance. So that's unusual because people, they relate. They're very similar with, with sequences. So he puts martial arts moves in his in his dances, the kicks and the blocks and stuff like that. But he was he would study Bruce Lee and people like that. And he wanted to, I had connections to Bruce Lee's daughter, Shannon and his ex-wife linda lee and um he wanted to meet them desperately because he wanted to absorb what made bruce lee relevant for 40 years still now what was different but he only lived to his 32. and uh, i set the meeting up and michael never turned up that was just typical michael jackson that was but uh but yeah so that that's uh that it's, it, it's been unusual it's it's been it's been um different but i wouldn't change it but it's been like Part of a mastermind that you couldn't make up. Yeah. It? You couldn't join. Well, that's what I was We thinking. didn't have that word. Yeah. Though, when yeah. you were talking about how he helped you, like he was a business guru to you. Oh, he, you was, know? he was an animal when it comes to business. That guy was ruthless, man. He was just, 
I used to be terrified of seeing him because like, like, how many members you put in, Matt? 20? That's not good enough. Well, next next time I'll call you, I want to be 80. And, and I threw the question, at one time I threw the question back at him. He was at Neverland. And um, I, did, I, I thought I did well. I opened up six schools in a month. And he praised me for it. And I thought, but how have you done, Mike? So I just signed an 80 million deal with Salt Korea. And I felt, I got off the phone and I, I felt like, crap, I got up my game. This guy's just kicking my ass. And, <laughs> so I wanted to beat him. I wanted to beat Geller. You, you know, I wanted to be Daryl Hannah used to come for dinners with us. And I wanted to be Mohammed Alfaz level. I, that, that's what I was, this is probably why I struggle with this whole, not being grateful, or what you'd call it, of, of gratitude, maybe. I understand I am, got what I've got now, which is incredible. But to me, I don't think I've made it. To everyone else looking at my life, I'll think, geez, man, you're, you're right up there, you know? Mm. When he, they voted me like one of the top 50 entrepreneurs a few years ago, started to kick in a little bit and, and realized that, yeah, Mike, Mike would be proud of think of what happened. But yeah, behind the man you see in the media and on stage is not the man behind. You don't get to be the biggest star in the world and be that good. I mean, he used to dance, practice four hours a day. I, I'd wake up at three in the morning, check on him. And I said, I had to refer to him as Mr. Jackson to the other staff to be professional. So where's Mr. Jackson? And, and he was in the hotel um, gymnasium, just dancing on his own. Every day you'd dance three or four hours a day, wherever in the world. And I, I used to hate the word talent. He says, oh, you're very talented. And oh, you're very lucky and talented. Yeah, really? I see, they see how, how hard he would he would dance. And, and if he would get something right, like a new dance move, he wouldn't go to sleep until he got it right. Because he felt if you go to sleep, it interrupts the pattern. And then the next day, he's forgotten it. Same with like a new lyric or song that would come into his head. So he would stay up for three days in a row and just practice, 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 practice. And I used to put a question back to him. What would you change if you could go back to a practice morning? How the hell can you do that? <laughs> You're just like on it. He lived and breathed being Michael Jackson. That guy just loved being Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. I know he moaned about the media, but he also moaned when they didn't turn up too. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, he just loved it. Fabulous, fabulous mentor. Um, I feel like we could still be here in five hours time because you've led such an interesting life and there's there's so much for all of us to learn from your experiences and you talk so openly and honestly which is just fabulous so i just really want to say a massive thank you you're welcome um, pleasure baby and i also like to finish with nonsense so at the end of my podcast i just throw stupid crazy questions out which you've got okay. to answer instantly okay. not allowed to stop and think about them all right a couple of crazy ones to start with um that don't really mean anything but um favorite food sushi favorite holiday that you've not been on yet I'm you've not, been I'm, you've been everywhere yeah i've been everywhere but not seen anything but hang on no um i would now all the kids are all grown up but they've all got their own social lives i like to take all six kids and i hope you listen to this man's love savannah so they've got boyfriends and stuff all six kids together away to someone like the Maldives or something. I like to pull that off. Yeah. Because trying to get them all together now is difficult. Yeah. That'd be my favourite holiday. I've been all six kids and my wife there. Okay. Favourite business book of all time? Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Okay. Um, if you could have 15 minutes with somebody that's no longer with us, who would you spend 15 minutes with? People will expect me to say Bruce Lee, but it's not the case because uh, I don't think you should aspire to someone who died of a drug overdose at 32 and 
maybe who, 15 minutes who would i spend time with who i haven't met yeah oh. it could be someone that you met and you just want to hang out with them again i go back to michael jackson i say come on you get rid of this damn doctor and sort yourself out and and i would have been a bit pushy hard, a bit more pushy with him at the end because you would have listened but uh so we're going michael jackson i probably i want michael back for personal reasons because if i could go back to him i would have saved him definitely i, I wasn't i was too soft on him I was, I was only like, I looked up to him, you know, so when I first met him, he would have been my age, right? Like 42, 43, I'm 44 now. So I, I didn't feel like I could have intercepted, but I, I would have gone back and, is it, I'm trying to think, who would it be? Who would I, who would I like to, I do study a lot of the great books and people who, have, who I haven't met. Napoleon Hill. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. yeah. And what about someone that you would love to spend 15 minutes with that's still alive? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh. And I've had many chances, and I've my wife's always been pregnant with this. Never experienced life. So that's still on the cards. Then. Well, he wanted Wait to do this anti obesity campaign with me in Sydney, in Australia, at the Arnold Classic. And uh, my wife was eight months pregnant. It would be irresponsible for me to leave her and fly out there. And so I made the right decision, and his team respected that. Yeah, I was going to spend a few days with him on that point, but yeah, it's never quite happened. I hope it will happen, and uh, that would that would be great. But yeah, Arnold, I want more fifteen. I probably want a good hour of him. I think get him on his cigars and try and make it happen. I've got friends who are friends with him. But oddly enough, my grandfather trained with him when he was in in um, London, so he's got his stories about him too. So, but yeah, I think that guy's a genius. He's broke three sectors: bodybuilding, movies, and um, politics, and now he's in the performance sector too. So I definitely spend time with him. But I love yeah. that you're saying to me, but an hour, not 15 minutes. Like, I feel like no, that's part, <laughs> like an hour wasn't on offer, Matt. Yeah. It was like 15 minutes, but you're like, no, I need more. That uh, probably sums up. Find a way that you wouldn't want to leave the room. <laughs> My, when I first time met Yuri, they they said you got half an hour of this together and that turned into three hours. So. Yeah, it depends how you gel and ask the right questions and stuff. But no, I think he's he's got to be one of the most inspiring people in the world, hasn't he? He couldn't even speak the language or anything. He used to break the the window to climb the ladder to go into the gym because he couldn't afford the gym membership. But look at him now. But I think he would be... Yeah, I met a lot of billionaires and stuff. I don't really do it for me. And the superstars, once you, the celebrities, once you met Michael Jackson, there's, everything else is a letdown. Oh, some of my friends watching this one sorry but you know what i mean but it's true you can't there's never going to be another one like that i really truly believe that the stadiums aren't even around anymore and it, the internet wasn't around back then and he struggled with the idea of putting the music on digital he didn't didn't want to do that his biggest competition was himself he wanted to beat thriller he's always going about that he's cry over that but uh anyone you meet after mike is, is a letdown uh uh, but I've, I've met presidents through him. President Clinton used to ring us often. I used to answer the phone and and will do. You know, Donald Trump, I'd like to spend time with. Yeah, Donald Trump. I, I, I probably that could happen at some point. But uh, but yeah, the honest school that sports like it's very hard to. I'd also like to seek out like the health people, the genuine ones. You know, I've been. Mean, I've watching that guy recently. He's doing that. Have you seen that guy who's been doing everything he can to stay young, reverse his aging? No, I don't think I have. Oh, yeah, that's quite impressive. Yeah, he's a billionaire, multi-billionaire, and all he does is he does research and science into trying to pull the age back, and he's trying to get his age back to 
think he's 50 something. I think he's at like 24 or something now. Wow. His internal organs and it's quite extreme. But yeah, I'm into all that that type of thing. Probably because of what happened to mum. Yeah, yeah. She didn't drink, she didn't smoke, just came out of the blue. Whether it's stress or whatever, I don't know. But no, I think I, I, I'm quite happy the way everything's gone. I've done a few things, but then we got to learn from those mistakes and teach them others so they don't do it. Yeah. So there's, I think the, the biggest thing I want people to take away from this is wherever your life is now, because some people think, oh, so right for you, Matt, you met Michael Jackson. Yeah, but I was broke. I was living in a flipping bed set. They've got to remember that. I had £100 to start this business. So last year, it got valued £120 million. Pounds. You know, it's it's not anything's achievable. You can build a property portfolio. The first 47 houses I bought with no money down. There are systems to everything, but you've got to study the right people, the mentors out there. Don't try and work this thing out on your own. You'll never get it. Yeah. And, and be ethical as well. And that kind of takes us around to, you know, basically what I feel my purpose is here right now. Don't try and do it all on your own. Find Don't try reinvent the wheel. I think it's been done already. I have people pitching me every day with different ideas. I do hear them out, but majority of the time the answer is that most ideas have been done in the world, other than AI and all this type of stuff. You just need to just follow the system. and Don't try and change it too. If you've got something working, human beings are human beings. It will work anywhere in the world. But when I opened up in Australia, like, this won't work here, you know. Look at it now, 17 years on, it's massive out there, MF martial arts is. It, it will work. Everyone in the world, in your sector especially, want their children to be more disciplined, more confident, be more polite, respectful, have a positive way to channel their energy. As long as you stick in that sector, you stick in education, don't be in a diet sector. You're an educator. You're an educator. You're always education will never die. Parents will always want stuff for their kids. If you're in sports or leisure, it'll be fads that will come and go. And we see lots of them, like Taibo, step aerobics, you go on and on and on. But as long as you stick in the education sector, education will never die. You'll always be in business. What a wonderful way to finish and um just masses of gratitude. Thank you so much. Everyone is going to love this podcast. Thank you. Um, it's been such a pleasure. And thank you for inviting me into your beautiful home. Hi, welcome anytime. Thank you. Glad we finally got to pull it off. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks, Debbie. So I wanted to quickly tell you a little bit about Showtime Circus. This is run by my good friend, Jess, who has created an incredible circus bolt-on franchise for your dance school because aerial and circus performance skills has become a really desirable skill set for choreographers and casting directors. And so Showtime Circus offers the opportunity to buy a franchise package, which will give you all of your necessary equipment, training from experienced staff, syllabus plans, ongoing support, and business support to launch your new franchise. It will really energize your school with increased revenue streams, new student opportunities, and of course, bring all the fun of the circus to your school. So do go and visit showtimecircus.co.uk to find out what the new buzz is around circus skills.